You're listening to the Sleuth Podcast. Real private investigators here to help you find the truth when you need to know. Sharing sometimes shocking, sometimes heartwarming, and sometimes hilarious stories from the field. They keep it real. Interviews with experts bring you insights on how people leverage PIs in their lives and in their businesses. Licensed by the North Carolina Department of Public Safety. Here's your hosts, Jamie and Lindsay. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Sleuth Podcast. We are on episode 23. I am Jamie. I am a private investigator here to tell you the truth when you really need to know. Welcome back. Today is June 19th, um, 2020, and I just wanted to take the time to kind of create a special episode for our listeners. When I scheduled this podcast in May, because we kind of pressed pause for a little bit because of all the COVID stuff, I had no idea uh, that we would be coming back to a June 19th episode and our world would be in the situation that we are right now. Um, and I just feel like as the as a first time owner and as an African-American woman, I just needed to kind of make a statement for my company and just for my people where we could impact people that we come in contact with and people that we live with and work with. Got some special people here today. Got Barry. Say hello, Barry. Hello, hello. Hello. Barry is um, a project manager for a communications company and super excited that he's here today to kind of talk about all of this stuff. And I'm excited for him to kind of share with you guys. He's been taking notes for <laughs> the last couple of days. So this is, this is kind of cool. Also, we have uh, Bob Brown. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> this is the Bob Brown that I always talk about. This is the attorney um, that we work with often. And so he is also here to drop some knowledge on us today. So, hey, Joe. Hello. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Welcome and, uh, back to the studio. Thank you. It's pretty. It's all pretty in here. We got a new setup. Um, I don't have the fuzzy things next to my head to lay on anymore, but they're <laughs> still over there and I can look at them. So yeah, I don't think uh, the other studio was a little too small for four people. We would have been very uncomfortable <laughs> if we would have tried to bed over there. I think so. It would have been really hot. So, Barry, how's your day going? My day is going good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yes, sir. What are you What are you looking forward to most on on today's podcast? Um, just talking about the current issues, uh, how we got here, the past. I'm not a historian, but I do enjoy learning about my history, and I am a black man, so I feel like I'm uh, qualified to speak on these issues. You are qualified. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Cool, Mr. Brown. What about you? Why are you here today? Uh, <laughs> I was invited, but I'm glad to be here. What are you What are you going to share with us today? Just talk about the history. Don't be shy. Our history. Okay. It is our history. Don't be shy. Y'all, he's not shy at all. He's kind of acting like it. I'm not shy. Okay. (laughs) We all know what's kind of happening in the world today. Brown people of color are being um, killed by the police, killed by people who are just living in a world of hatred. And I just figured this would be kind of a cool opportunity to just kind of go through African-American history pretty much from the start. Last night when I was kind of going through these things, Barry sent me an, an, an article to read and it just took me down a whole nother rabbit hole of, you know, oppression that I didn't even know about. I mean, there's just so much, you know, that I just haven't, I've not really been into history as much just because it's never been anything I have, but I now feel bad. I feel like I need to learn more about my people. I need to just be more awake and, you know, so that I can make a difference in, you know, 
the world that I'm in and in the field that I'm in. We'll just start from the beginning. 16, 19 Africans were taken and sold um, to the Europeans and they packed slave ships. Tell me about it, Barry. Well, it was called the Middle Passage Slave Trade. Spaniards, Europeans went to the west coast of Africa and purchased slaves from or stole slaves in some cases. And they put them on boats and they took them to uh, what they call the new land or what we now call America. <clears throat> and that resulted in two to four million deaths of slaves. Many of them jumped overboard just because they refused to become enslaved. They were ripped from their families. I mean, horrific stories. I was reading a story last night about the Middle Passage, and it was so brutal that I didn't even want to share it with Jamie because I just thought it would just be too much. I Thank mean, you. It was just, I almost want to tell a, a little pet. Well, no, well, you could tell a little bit. I mean, hey. Yeah, I mean, just mm-hmm. like just just uh, dying from famine and being uh, starved to death and beaten and thrown overboard if they tried to uprise. I mean, it was just horrible. And then you get there, and now we're in the mid 18th century, and so slaves are sold for anywhere between eight and twelve hundred dollars. So that's equivalent to thirty two thousand or forty eight thousand dollars today. So that's mm. a lot of money for one person. So yeah. we were very valuable, and we were definitely their greatest asset, and we were people the whole time. So that's what I know about the slave trade. I don't know. It's kind of almost like a nightmare. You know, I, mean, I wasn't a part of it, but just to think about what those people had to go through is kind of sad. That is a nightmare. I mean, to yeah. be stole from your country, you know, taken somewhere else. Who knows what happened to you in between? You've been, you know, your family's been broken apart. You know, kids were snatched away from their mothers. Families were immediately split up. It's kind of been a continual thing that's happened to African-Americans over all of these years is you just have broken families that. It's just a, a lot of our history right there, just being torn apart. That's right. It's traumatic, man. If you can imagine being taken away from your mother or your father or your child being taken away and you never see him again. I can't imagine what they had to go through. So no. oh, I can only imagine. Talk about mental issues. You probably definitely yeah. had some back then. Oh, for sure. I mean, so much so that, I mean, for me, I feel like I can't wrap my mind around suicide because I think it's part of like a mental illness thing. But I do believe that if I was in their situation, I mean, I hate to say it, but I probably would have done it. You think too. you would? Idea. I mean, if you, I mean, the stories I was reading about those boats and the stuff they had to go through and being ripped away from your family, your culture, your land, being locked in shackles to somebody that could be dead. And you right. Know, I, mean, I, I mean, at that point, yo, I don't know. I mean, I hate to say I would give up like that, but I can understand why somebody would. Right. I'm looking at an article about the first trip that you're talking about in 1619, and it it says that they took 350 Africans and 20 made it. Yep. All right. There you go. So they're throwing them overboard, or sometimes they would jump. I saw one story. You may want to close your ears, but so they (laughs) so they would take they would take uh, a slave, you know, or and they use them as an example. They would tie a rope to them. And they would dip them down in the water and show them, look, this this can happen to you. We could drop you in the water. And then they would pull her back up. And one time they tried to do it, or they did it, and they dropped her down. And by the time they pulled her up, half her body was gone. The sharks had already snatched it. Oh, my God. So, yes. I mean, so sharks were following the ships. And the yeah. slaves knew that. So if they jumped off, then, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, man. Yeah, that's one of the things that happened is that the shark migration route changed because of slave trade. Wow. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it, yeah it's, it, they followed the ships and it changed for hundreds of years. Wow. 
I didn't know that. So they just knew there was just like a plethora of food that was just going to be dropping off of these boats, basically. Yeah. And I mean, to the fact, I mean, to the point where it changed the migration. Right. There was no need to look for other food when this was so plentiful. Right. Because if you got sick, if you had malaria or smallpox or something like that, and you were getting the other slaves sick and it was killing off their property, they would just throw you overboard. Yeah. I mean, they had no way to cure you. So they just throw you overboard and throw you to the shark. Mm. Okay. So then we get to about 1861. Uh, when the Civil War kind of started, Mr. Brown, get me on the Civil War. <laughs> you skipped over a whole lot of history. Well, I'm trying to get from 1619 to 2020 <laughs> in an hour and a half. And so I was like, I already know. We, I mean, I'm hoping that this show kind of gives people the idea that they might want to look into the culture and maybe learn some things for themselves. And maybe they can, you know, so I know that. Well, tell me what I skipped. Well, you know, the slave trade was primarily about money. It, right. It was all about money. The big insurance companies in insured slaves as property companies like New York Life mm-hmm. and the other big insurance companies in New York all insured slaves. This was big money for them. We were the most slaves were the biggest assets of anybody in uh, colonial in the South. And so for that reason, it was always an issue of as he as you pointed out, when it became an issue of money, we were very, very valuable. And so they they did everything. The whole system was set up to make sure that they that their money was uh, taken care of to the extent that the federal government would actually track down slaves who ran away into the north and bring them back and re-enslave them. And, and, of course, all the laws in the south were set up for that. And, of course— from a mental standpoint, the the, uh, the whites had to convince themselves that blacks were not people because other than that, you they, you would actually be guilty of, they would be guilty of just multiple crimes. Right. You name the crime, they were guilty of it. Rape, you know, incest, murder, you know, assault, kidnapping. You name the crime, they were guilty. And, of course, rather than facing that, and they had to change the rules to say that black people were not people at all, right. but were something other than that. Because Probably. other than that, then you know their conscience could not could not deal with the fact that they were so evil. But indeed, right. that's what exactly was happening. So they were justifying it mentally for themselves because they said we were like one third or something right. like that of a man, two thirds, two thirds. Okay. And, okay. But, so what was the other one third? We were animals. Well, you see, the the, the two third compromise didn't come about because that's what they said that we were. It's because the South wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to count slaves as people in order to get the census up so that they would get the number of representatives in the state in the United mm-hmm. States Congress as as the North had. To get electoral votes. Yeah, to get, to get electoral votes. But at the same time, the South the North says you can't do that. If you send that there's if their slaves right. are not people, then we, we're not gonna count them at all. And the, and so that's where you came up with the two thirds compromise. Oh, and, you know we were two thirds of people, but it's not that they thought that we were people. I mean, you they know, just needed us to. They should didn't treat us like we were people. So. Oh well, they no, they didn't treat they didn't treat us like we were equal to them. Right, but they, I mean, they treat us like they treated the Indians. Yeah, they killed the Indians. They they just wiped them out. Yeah, they needed their land. Yeah, and you know, and they needed us to work it. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. Right. The whole system was set up to make sure that 
one that we that they had a justification, which is you had both a religious and a moral justification for slavery. So you got the Southern Baptist Church is became the Southern Baptist Church because it promoted and justified slavery under the Bible. And that's what split them up from the Northern Baptist Church or the regular Baptist Church. Right. And so and so you had that religious justification, then you had to have the legal justification. And you set the, and that was set up by the idea that we just simply weren't people and that and you had decisions before Plessy that, that said that black people just have simply had no rights. And that was we just simply weren't people at all. Which of course justified doing all sorts of horrible things to us. But yeah. right. we won't go there. All right, right. <laughs> we'll we, go we, there we later. Heard, right. <laughs> Which is why the Civil War, I guess, was they were so hard pressed on. Obviously, that's why the Civil War happened because they were trying to hold on to being able to own slaves. Yes, that's why they succeeded. The South succeeded from the Union was because they were insisted upon maintaining slavery, right? Their peculiar institution. Mm. Because without it, they didn't have much. Without it, then you have anybody to work the land. They were gonna have to work the land, or, and or. Pay they're, other people. Pay somebody pay. else. They're going to have to pay people. Right. And we can't pay because we're trying to keep all the money. And we so that we not become work. rich land barons by being by paying people. <laughs> right. Or by working the land ourselves. Right. So. All right. So then we get to, we have the Civil War. And then, of course, the the South lost. Um, and well, then Let's not skip over the Civil War so quickly. I, okay. Right. Because yes, I had a couple the, of points, too. Go ahead. Because <laughs> as you get the impression from the Civil War that it was just whites fighting white. No, no. I yeah. know. But the North would have lost if the blacks had not right. fought. Yes, sir. There was 170,000 black people who fought for the Union, in the Union Army. Right. And, and it was 1862 when they became aware of the fact that they were, the number of volunteer, white volunteers from the North was not going to be sufficient to, to win the war and to do the jobs they needed to do in the Army. And they opened it. They opened up the the army to northern to slaves to come into the army and and to fight. And so, one hundred seventy thousand did it in the army, and I think about ten or eleven thousand did it in the navy. Hmm. And a lot of the units who fought received commendations. I mean, they received medal of honor. They really right. fought. Right. Uh, and they, they still got no respect whenever they you know. Well, the, the South gave them respect. All right. They killed them on sight. There was no, that. there was no surrendering of black troops no. by the north. If you no. surrendered, they, they, they killed you. Right. There was, you know, there was no, we're gonna put you in the stockades and return you at the end of the Civil War. It was either that or they put you back in slavery. Hmm. And I even saw where a lot of people would even just follow the Union soldiers, soldiers, just follow them on wherever they were traveling, yes. and they would like be scouts for them. Like that would go, they would go and look ahead and say, hey, well they're over here, and then just kind of help them out. And just follow them in hopes that they would help them reach freedom or something like that. So, yeah, I, that was a fun fact that uh, we actually joined the union and, and helped them win. It was, uh, sounds like it wouldn't have happened without. No, it, they wouldn't have won the war without us. Right. They'd, but, of course, you would not hear that now. And it's certainly not going to be in the history book. But it is in the it is in the uh, archives of the United States government. I right. Mean, different. They, bought it, they paid us. Right. Of course, at a rate cheaper than they paid white troops. Of course. Of course. Of course. So can we get to can we get to the emancipation? Okay. Is that okay? Let's go. So 1863, <laughs> eight, uh, we had the Emancipation Proclamation where President Lincoln basically said that 
well, I guess they enacted the 13th, 14th, the 15th Amendment at that time, where abolished, abolished slavery, guaranteed the newly freed blacks equal protection of the laws, and gave all male American citizens the right to vote regardless of their race, color, previous condition of servitude. And although that passed in 1863, we know that that did not travel all the way to the South, and black people did not even know that they had been set free. So, You're, you're talking about the 13th Amendment. Yeah. Sorry. That that was ratified in 1865. Well, just to, to do the whole thing, then. Okay. Don't be mean to me. What did mean? The Emancipation Proclamation is something that Lincoln was a proclamation he did during the Civil War, and he did this directly towards the states that has had called themselves seceding from the Union, and he and he declared that their slaves were were free. Right. And this was to uh, basically force them back uh, into the Union, but it didn't work. There was uh, states who were part of the Union who had slaves. Uh, there was slave states, such as Maryland and Delaware and Kentucky and this one other state. They were called border states. Mm. And their slaves actually, by law, didn't become free until the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which was in December 1865. Okay. The slaves in the South they became free as soon as the Union Army showed up with the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, they showed up. And that's, and that's what happened on June 19th, 1865, is that the Union General showed up in Galveston, Texas, right. and says, everybody's free, and y'all can forget about that thing, about them being slaves anymore. That's over. Right. So, Did he also par- promise them land? At that point, is that the forty I, acres and the mule part? Did I think he had. I think no, initially he did. had. I think initially he had promised them land, and then when he came back to make the um, announcement, he was like, "No, you just can <laughs> separate from your your man." You know, what I mean, it wasn't going to be like you're going to get any land, and I think that's where the forty acres and a mule come from because, and I think Lincoln was actually working on doing something like that where he was going to put that in place, and then of mm. course he got assassinated, and then it was a reverse because. Johnson. Andrew Johnson came in, and then he was a Southern Democrat from Tennessee. No, Andrew was actually from born in born in North Carolina. Right, but he was on the Senate as as in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, that was where he represented, I believe. Yep. But yes, he was born in North Carolina. You're right. So that's why we have the June 19th thing. So that's you know what we're celebrating on today, and you know it's just about celebrating the freedom, and you know again. I have not appreciated my culture as I should have. My don't, don't beat up on yourself. I'm not beating up on myself, but I, I'm definitely becoming much more aware of it just because I've just always been a sheltered child and I didn't have to deal with kind of stuff like that. And so I just kind of learned at my own pace, which obviously was not quick enough that I can tell for myself. But anyways, my aunt, she was a reverend in the AME Zion Church, and she we used to have a June celebration every year she lived I think she I mean it's kind of Harnett County ish but maybe like Holly Springs area and she had a house out there and we had a presentation pretty much every year and we had you know somebody that came and talked to us about our history and you know just kind of made us aware of what these things that you know were going on I'm just glad that our country well not our country maybe let's say we might make it a national holiday after all of this. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I decided that that black men would be off for to for today, June 19th, Amen. just in you know honor of, you know, celebrating our freedom. Then we moved past 1865. When we got to the reconstruction and repression 
that was from pretty much 1865 until 1900. I'm curious if we can back up a little bit. How sure. did how did the white churches justify that interpretation of slavery from the Bible? Well, they and, and I'll, I'll yeah. let you jump no, in too. No, but yeah, so in, in some cases they will quote um, Bible verses that would just kind of like gear you if you didn't know any better. Some about masters and honoring your master and yep. slaves, and so right. you, they would think that okay, I'm supposed to be a slave and I am supposed to honor my master, and I've been taught right. this religion that says that, and I believe in that. And so it's just going, and it just, I don't know. So taken out of context, like from Philemon, where it's like return to your master. But right. exactly. in Absolutely. the context with the verse, it wasn't saying. Right. It <laughs> wasn't mean your actual physical it, master that, that's right. enslaving you. It, and if you don't know how to read and all he ever yeah. tells you are, are the verses that he wants you to know, right. then you he's your a, preacher. I mean, he's, he's who's, you know. Because they let, so, used to let us go to church. It of course. It would be a white man preaching and then we're there and, you know. But they did not let you read. No, 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 no. They're going to tell us what they wanted us to I'll know. read to you. Yes. And I'll tell you what it says in my interpretation. Because, you know, we if anybody tried to teach us how to read, they were killed. If we tried to learn how to read, we were you killed. Kill. I mean, so if you prevent education, if you yeah. pe- prevent people from knowing, you know, then you, you keep them in a corner. You don't, yeah. don't have many options. Two things your oppressor doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to vote. He doesn't want you to be educated. Right. And so, and you know, to your credit, you've beaten up on yourself before, but you've always saw the importance of voting. Yes. And so that's important. Right. That's the power that you have and you've used that. So, right. I mean, but that's important. Yeah, You have to be, and, and then also you just can't vote. You have to vote and know why you're voting. <laughs> and who you're voting and for. who you're voting for. Because you see what that, well, I'm not going to go there, but yeah. go there. That's right. That's right. That's later. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to say that name. So. That name. There you go. Agree with you on that. Okay, so you want to do reconstruction, Barry? Yeah, I mean Let's reconstruction. Talk a little bit about it. So reconstruction is is kind of a for me it's a proud time because well it's not a proud time. I think we were kind of making the, the right moves in the right direction until Lincoln got assassinated and then Andrew Johnson came in and then you get the Klan forming around this time to stoke fear in us to not vote and to not own land and if you did own some land and you did start to you know, gain some ground, it would just probably burn your house down right. or scare you off into even trying to do anything in the first place. Uh, the Freedmen's Bureau came along and I'm not sure. I'll, I'll let you kind of speak on the Freedmen's Bureau. I was kind of, if you, I'm sure you know about it. I was kind of had some mixed feelings on that. Like, in, I think it started off good, but then it ended up turning kind of bad, I guess you would say, as far as whether they supported us or were for or against us. Well, yeah, of course, the Freedmen's Bureau was set up initially by the the Republicans who, Lincoln was a Republican, and the Republican Party at that time, at that time, fought to get the uh, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment passed. That, and then they set up to, 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 to make that amendment, to make the amendments work, they set the Freemans Bureau, which was to make sure that black people were Basically treated right in so far as their the the voting is concerned, and also because of economic things, they weren't perfect. But by the same token, it was a whole lot better than they were when Reconstruction ended. Because when you know Reconstruction, the end of Reconstruction happened as a direct result of a deal that was made for some president to be elected. It was at the Grant, if I'm not mistaken. Whoever came at the Grant, he made a deal with the uh, South. That says basically, you support me, I'll get the I'll get the federal troops out of the South, and you can do what you want with black people. We don't right. care. Gotcha. And that's yeah. what happened. 
And so that's why that's what. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That, that that was a very there was a it wasn't hidden. This was the deal. It was out in the open, and the South voted for him. They got and I can't remember who the the president was, but they got him in. He pulled the troops out of the South, and of course that was the only thing stopping the you know the whites from reimposing slavery right back right. on black people was uh, the presence of Union troops, and so that's what happened starting in the eighteen nineties. They uh, it started reimposing these various laws. Is that actually, the Black Code? code actually, I'm, that... I, I'm sorry. They started in 1865, uh, the Black Codes. Okay. Uh, and the Black Codes, of course, was uh, the whole idea was just to reimpose slavery and call it something else. And what they did was, it was like they took the book out of Russia, actually. Out of Russia? Yeah, you know, they had serfs in, in Russia. You were tied, if you were, if you were born in Russia and you were a peasant, you were tied to the land. You can't. You just couldn't get up and move. Freedom was not part of the the, the, the game plan. You you were tied to land. Your children were tied to land, and you had to stay there and work the land. You didn't own the land. You had to stay there and work the land. And that's what they tried to do with with, with the black codes. They set it up so that everybody, every black man had to be had to have, sign a contract, an employment contract, saying that you know he worked. This particular land, and you couldn't do anything other than being a farm helper or or some type of laborer. Right. Uh, if you something other than that, then you had to pay. You had to pay between ten and a hundred dollars a year in order to do this, do whatever it is that you wanted to do. Which, of course, most slaves, most ex slaves, could not afford. Right. And, and so, so look. Fun fact, just what you said, in South Carolina, a law prohibited blacks from holding any occupation other than a farmer or servant unless they paid the annual tax of 10 to to $100. And this provision hit the free, free blacks that were already living in Charleston and former slave artisans especially hard. And then both of the states, blacks were given heavier penalties for vagrancy, including forced plantation labor. Yeah, so like me and Mr. Brown sitting at the store, I come out the store, he's standing outside. I'm like, oh, hey, Mr. Brown, I ain't seen you in a long time. Are we talking? And a cop or whatever mm. rolls up. And, all right, what are you guys doing? And you got to show him proof of employment. Right. If you don't have proof of employment, well, Written I guess he's going to give you some. Because he's going to send you to some type of, and then it would be like cheap labor yeah, for the, like the, a the, year. Yeah, they would, first of all, take you to court. You'd be found guilty. Then they send you to prison, and you'd be working in somebody's prison unit, and you yeah. go out in somebody's farm working somebody's farm or doing somebody's labor. Mm -hmm. And you see, this is it's like community it, service. You know, like this work. is my, this is my thing when it came to the prison. I mean, I've been a part of the legal system for the past 45 years. My thing with the legal system has always been that the prison system in the South, especially in North Carolina, well, mm -hmm. probably in the South, but has been, was, was always set up to deal with what are you going to do with the black man? If you're not going to let him have power, you got to do something with him. And so what you do with him is you imprison him. And you, you keep him in prison, and therefore you strip him of rights because all all felons no you you didn't have the right to vote. Go ahead. What's the list? Look, he didn't wrote a whole well, list. Oh, you go ahead. Well, look, if we, <laughs> look, we done went to the end. So no, no, that's okay. I'm, okay. I'm still I'll in. Okay. All right. So I did write down a list, and I didn't know most of these, but it was a refresher. So, if you're a felon, you can't possess a firearm. You can't vote if you're on paper. No jury duty. Can't get a passport and travel abroad. You can't get employment in most situations. That's I mean, right. you know, blue collar work. I mean, which is nothing wrong with that. But I mean, if you want more, then you can't do that. Parental rights. If you go to court and get cust to get custody of your child, and you got a felon, I'm 
I mean, felony, I'm sure that'll be brought up. Oh, yeah. And taken into consideration. Public assistance in housing. If you need a, if you need a, a, a hand for a year or two to get on your feet, Can't you won't get, get that. And before we came up, we were looking at the real estate license thing. So if it's not that you can't have a real estate license, but it's highly. It's very, very hard. Unlikely that you'll get one with a felony. Yes. So, right. so now you basically, I mean, it's not that you're not a citizen, but I mean. You left with, we left with drug dealing. You left with hoping somebody else can uh, yeah. help you out or like construction work where you beating your body down for years. That's you know right. what I mean? You, you left with priming tobacco. Right, you could prime taking some cotton. Work at a chicken plant. Yep, working at a chicken plant. Yeah, they have work a lot of them. Plant, there. Yeah, meat packing plant. That's right. Ugh. All day long. Yeah. Thanks. So, so there you go. And we were talking about black codes, and then we have Plessy versus Burke. It was a United States Supreme Court decision that came out of Louisiana right. that said that there was a Plessy was a guy who was six, seven, seventh, eight, seven, eighth white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he had one, and he refused to do something. I, I can't remember what it was. Well, he was trying to ride on the train. That's in the white yeah, that's section. Right. Yeah, yeah, he was he was the Monday Rosa Parks, and that that idea was they set it up so they were going to have the the the, the segregation laws that had just recently been passed declared unconstitutional under the Fourteenth Amendment, and. Which was a good idea. What's the law? I mean, and they took it up, and the uh, Supreme Court and decided that uh, nah, that really didn't apply. That the Fourteenth Amendment really didn't eliminate distinctions in the law based on race. It's, and it said that as long as things were, you know, as you you could separate the the races as long as you did it so that they were everybody got equal. equal. They were equal. But you could definitely do that, and the and the legislatures could do it based on their the police power, their their power to to deal with uh, the social and the the health regulations, and so that became the framework for Jim Crow laws, right? right. And that became and that stayed around until sixty five. Sixty five. Yeah. 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 Matter of fact, it stayed around longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> it right. stayed around. To, let's see. I was in. I was at Duke in 68. Well, how was that like? They graduated. Let's see. see, Darton was a black high school. That was my high school at Wilson. They uh, graduated their last high school. Their class was 1970. So, and that was, I mean, and they, it was, you know, Darton was at, at all times a black high school. Not one white foot right. set foot at Darton High School. Not a teacher, not a student, not anybody, you know. Wow. Nobody, if they weren't black, they'd ever set foot at Darton High School. Mm. And I graduated in 70, and I I mean, I I guess I should say up until 1970, I mean, up to 1968 when I left. In 1970 is when my brother was the last, he was the last class. So, but Plessy, I mean, the uh, segregation laws Oh, were in fact then, you know, the South fought very hard against Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm. They refused. I mean, you know, they had to send again the federal troops in order to get it to get right. them to uh, obey the uh, the decision from the Supreme Court, right. which actually overturned Plessy versus Ferguson in it, a way. It, it, it was, that was funny. It didn't overturn it, and they haven't yet overturned. Plessy. Right, not officially. Not right. officially. Right. right, they worked around it. They, gotcha. They just they just act like it doesn't exist anymore. 
Right. But Brown, you know, was was a radical decision. I mean, you know, uh, it, it was radical for the South. Yeah, but that's why, but not, and I keep saying it, but that's why it's important to vote. Oh, yes. Because when these people get in, 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 uh, in office or in charge, I mean, they make these kind of decisions that directly affect you, and you haven't right. even had a chance to have a say in it. So it's right. important to vote then and now. Well, my mom um, went to Broughton High School, and Broughton High School was originally an all-white segregated school. And she told me that I guess she was the first – she graduated in 69, and she was the first – in part of the first black class that had been integrated into Broughton High School. And I was just like, wow, I can't, I mean, I think my mom, I mean, I know I had an older mom, but I mean, that that was just, it was just a, a couple years ago. It was a generation ago. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's long it. at all. So it's like, you know, when you think of this hatred that Your has mama been, was unbelievably brave. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was rough. Yeah. <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about even um, the Little Rock Nine. There were nine high school students that attempted to get education in all white high school. And that was in Arkansas and no, Central High School. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they had to send the fed, federal soldiers down there to come and escort them into the schools and sit in there with them. And over a year and a half, they had to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they still like they ended up leaving just because they were just continually harassed. I mean, eventually, you know, the National Guards or whoever they were had to leave. The federal troops had to leave. But, you know, and I mean, you just can't get education. You cannot learn when you're being harassed. You know, tell me about what you tell me about your mom. Oh, yeah. She was the uh, first black homecoming queen at her high school. It was her name. Her high school was, I think, Union High School uh, in Sampson County. And this was in I think she graduated in 72. But she was the homecoming queen in her first in in 10th grade. And I think back then they had junior high. You went up to ninth grade and then you went to high school in 10th to 12th. And she, her first year, I believe it was, she became the homecoming queen. And she said it wasn't really bad. I guess the, the previous queen crowned her. And she said a little white boy ran up behind her and punched her in the back and ran off. He came out on the field and just like hit her in the back and ran off. I mean, it wasn't a big, big deal. But I mean, it was just, I mean, I mean, it didn't hurt her or anything. <laughs> what I'm saying. Shit. So, yeah, Excuse I mean, it was hard. I mean, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, but I mean, but my thing is, you know, if your parents are teaching you that, you know, no. then there it is. So, yeah, but she said that they also integrated her school. And when they did so, the parents kept their kids, the white parents kept their kids out of school for 30 days, uh, almost. And then they got a letter from the school board saying that they didn't bring their kid to school within 30 days, they wouldn't be able to come back. So they brought them back on the 30th day, but they stayed behind and kind of like watched through the windows or watched through the glass doors to make sure their kid didn't have to sit with a black kid or sit beside a black kid. Uh, it, was, it was a lot. It was tough. It was a lot of resistance um, to us being educated. And I wonder why. But, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's tough. Speaking on education, I learned about the Daughters of Confederacy over the last week, which I had not realized that. I mean, I knew I've heard of the Daughters of the Confederacy, but I really had not studied and found out, you know, they are the I mean, basically, I guess they were the daughters and or wives of the Confederate soldiers. And after the Confederate War, they wanted to remember them and, you know, wanted the country to remember them. And so they, as a group, created all of the Confederate statues that we see today. And then they also were the teachers and had like, I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a separate class, but they were teaching pretty much hatred to all of the white children and, you know, 
a lot of, I mean, if you think about it, they said that those books didn't leave out of those classrooms until like the 70s. So if you were a child in the 70s in the South, you were still taught the hatred. Mm -hmm. That just blew my mind to think that you would have a separate class kind of as an elective that teaches you kind of how to hate people. Give, I don't know, a, a, a positive name to the people who were fighting in this war. And I understand that they were your husbands and fathers and stuff like that, but they were fighting to keep people as slaves. And, and, so they that's lost. Not, and you lost. And, and, that, lost. and that's just not a, it's not a positive thing. And so it just, it's hurtful to hear that, you know, when people holler that hater, heritage and not hate, you know, that it's, uh. well, <sighs> It goes back to that justification thing. First of all, you know what the definition of treason is in the Constitution? Mm. It's to take up arms against the United States. If you take up arms against the United States or give aid and comfort to those who do, mm -hmm. then you committed treason. That's right. Well, every one of the people in the Confederate Army, were, they were traitors. They took up arms against the United States. There was no question they took up arms against the United States because what they fired on in Fort Sumter was a United States institution uh, right. facility. Mm -hmm. When they were told by the federal government to back down, they said, we're succeeding. So they took up arms against the United States. They are traitors. Now, what you have is then a situation is they lost the war. Do you now admit that we were a bunch of treasonous people? And you know, taking up a war, taking up arms against the United States that we we love to fight the fight the flag and say that we are all patriotic. And and the answer is no. We, we'll just simply change it. We did not take up arms. We were fighting for states' rights. Right. We were, and you know, we weren't fighting to maintain slavery because slavery seems so horrible, so wrong now. It was actually. You know, I was black, fighting for my farm. Yeah, I'm fighting for my farm. And besides all that, black people like being slaves. Everybody knew that black people like being slaves. I mean, you know. They're they happy, love, they, they're they, singing. That's right. They love being <laughs> raped. They love having their children raped. They love the fact that they couldn't be uh, They couldn't be a family. They love having the, the black men lynch at any particular Burned time. They the saw, oh, that, I mean, that was, yeah, they, they loved it. Because, yeah. why did they love it? Because they were all retarded and didn't understand they couldn't possibly because they weren't human, and so that's why they all loved it. Mm -hmm. But if you had to say that they were human, then you had to, the next rep had to say that my forefathers committed all sorts of horrible, egregious crimes over and over and over again for not just years, but for decades and then for centuries. Mm -hmm. right. And can you actually bring yourself up to say that all the people I want to wreck statues to were all these horrible people because they were all these horrible people. Every, for every person you see in the state prison system now, all those slave owners did so much worse right. every day, mm -hmm. every year, you know, day after day. They perceived it as their absolute right to rape our women on a daily basis. It was their right. Mm. And no black man could ever say anything about it. No black woman could ever say anything about it. Nope. And so, therefore, and they and they wanted to maintain that system even after, even after the end of the Civil War. I mean, this this idea of rape of black women didn't end just because the war ended. It continued. Right. Matter of fact, uh, one I was looking at a speech by uh, George H. White. He was the last black congressman out of Reconstruction. He represented Durham all the way down to Wilmington. And they, when they had the, the race riot in uh, Wilmington, where the whites overthrew the government in Wilmington, 
they they made it impossible for him to come back. Even though he represented the area, he could not come back to North Carolina because they, they he was threatened to be killed. Wow. Uh, he actually left and went up to uh, New Jersey and started Whitesboro in New Jersey. But one of the things that he said in his last speech to Congress was that, you know, this business about, you know, black people being so bad, it's, you know, it's just the opposite. Your, your white men are raping our black women on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And that, you're talking about something that set off a firestorm. Oh it set God. off a real firestorm back in North Carolina. You should read right. what the News and Observer had to say about it. Oh, I will. Uh, <laughs> Note that down. I would yeah, yeah. Do that. Just, just look under the title, Nigger Con- Congressman. That's mm. what they kept calling him, a nigger congressman. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was in the News Observer then. But, you know, okay, so speaking on that, if you haven't seen the 13th, you need to watch it. And they talk about the movie A Birth of a Nation. Now, when was that made? 1911, 19, in the early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s. And they painted black men as rapists. Yeah, and they white painted, animals. Right, as right. animal savages. I mean, that when you look at just the clips that they have on there, of how we don't even look like that. Yeah, it's like a silent movie. Yeah. yeah. That's um, what led to Emmett Till, stuff like that. Right. Whistling at a white woman and that, putting that kind of stuff into motion where you weren't allowed to look not only a white man, but a white woman in the eye. Or it definitely not say anything flirtatious to one. Oh, yeah, well, there was a there was a North Carolina Supreme Court case that I read. It's still in the books. It's, it's still there. It was nineteen something, nineteen eleven, nineteen twelve something. That said, if a black man, a black man could be convicted of assault on a white woman by looking at him, looking at her from across the street. What? Because yes. they want your head down. Yes. So you walk with your look, head if down. You, if you if you looked at her from across the street, looked at her and I, then you could be guilty of an assault on a female. And what state was this on? Uh, the Great State of North Carolina. Great State of North Carolina. So great so state. so each state wrote their own laws. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. You know, so some states you couldn't even. Well, this is way down the line when we were free, but you know you can't marry a white woman for sure. They wouldn't oh, look, recognize all the, your. All the states did. Yeah. And, and my You're friend. Right. North Carolina just repealed that statute in the past 10 or 15 years. Come on now. Uh, the Supreme Court declared that it was unconstitutional for the states to have that statute. Yeah. Right. But so therefore it became, you know, it became not, you couldn't enforce the statute, but they didn't, North Carolina didn't get around to repealing the statute until the past 15 years ago. Wow. Maybe 15, 20 years ago. It's wow. crazy. Yes, it is. Very. Mm. Okay. So then, um, where are we? I guess we go Black Panther movement. Well, did we do Jim? Did we talk about Jim Crow? Oh, no, we've been talking yeah. about Jim Crow. Yeah, we've been talking uh, about Jim Crow. Uh, yeah. Uh, Let's go to I Want Black Panther movement. <laughs> what? I, f- I always felt like my, my mother did not tell me this, but I, I feel like she was a part of the Black Panther movement. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> they, they said when she came. Why would you think your real mother was a member, a part of the Black Panther movement? Uh, because she didn't tell me and so I feel like she went okay so my mom left from North Carolina when she was 18 and went all the way to California just you know to find herself I guess she was there up until 83 so she was there for years yeah I mean my aunt and everybody she graduated from high school she is 69 69. 69. So you talking about 10, 15 years? 13? Oh, she might have been a black man. Yeah I'm, I'm telling you I'm she probably seeing a picture somewhere where she might was looking been. Black Pantherish. Black jacket yeah, Love afro. Yeah, a good old afro too. Yeah. Where? 
Wouldn't you be proud? Yeah, hey. I am. Hey. I mean, I, w- I you know, I lost my mama, so I don't, you know, I wish there are many conversations that I had with her, especially with all this stuff coming right. up. I would have loved to hear, you know, her opinion and, you know, for her to not, you know, she sheltered me. I didn't, she just sheltered me from anything kind of wild and crazy. So I, you know, I didn't know any of these things i just knew like the good stuff the little happy stuff and martin luther king you know, martin luther king and, <laughs> and <laughs> rosa parks and, oh, yeah. and, and you know, hey look they're very important right they are very important but it was just a lot of other things going on but i you know it hurts my heart the hatred kind of bothers me black panther was created in night i'm sorry 1966 by huey newton and bobby still now you were around so what was the perception of black panther or the black panther movement not by white people because i know they villainized them, but as far as black people, how do they feel about it? Like Southern blacks in the sixties, how do they? Oh, feel they were about terrified. It? They were terrified uh, of them. They're, they're terrified of black people, black Panthers. Yeah, let's see. Wait a minute, hold on. Black people were ter- terrified. No, of no, black you Panthers? mean black people? Yeah, yeah. black people. Oh, oh no, no. Uh, perception. No, see, first of all, black the Black Panthers were started in California, right? Now I met some Black Panthers because when we took over the Allen Building at Duke in '69. There were there were Black Panthers in Winston Salem, and they came. They actually came into the building with us. They were they were interesting folks. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like what? How were they? I mean, because oh, they were radical. I mean, they they were going to fight the police. I mean, they were they were police. And y'all had seen that. Y'all probably like whoa. Oh no no. They, you know what we didn't realize? You see, see, we were black students at Duke, and we were in my freshman and sophomore year, so we're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and. Let's see, a more Gentile way of saying it was we were stupid. Right. We we did not know. We did not know because we hadn't been taught. Now, we, we had not been taught the, the reality of how blacks were treated in the South, you know, even though we grew up in the South. But what we didn't know was that the mass of police and highway patrolmen and the police, sheriff's department, and some other law enforcement they had all massed in Duke Gardens, which was only about maybe a couple hundred yards from the Allen building itself. And they were going to come and get us out of the building. Mm. They were waiting for the uh, administration to give them the okay. Mm. But they were coming to get us out of the building. Now, some of us thought that they were going to escort us out gently uh. out of the building. Yeah, that, that was one of those mistaken ideas. <laughs> uh, a few of us came to the realization that they might, since we were inside the building and away from everybody else, there was a good possibility that we might meet some violent end. The Black Panthers were among those. So they came They came from Winston Salem. They came, showed up around 10 or 11 o'clock that day, and it was probably about four or five of them. Okay. And they, and they came, and, and they started teaching us how we were going to fight the police inside the building. They tore up chairs, and they showed us how we were going to, Take the, the the tear gas grenades and put them in in cans of uh, in garbage cans that were filled with water, and that's what we were going to do. And what was that going to do? Well, that, that that's what take care of the tear gas. Now, you know, tearing up the chairs and fighting you know police officers with pieces of chairs was just a guaranteed way of getting yourself killed. Right. 
Uh, matter of fact, I mean, you you were on your way to die to begin with. You just didn't know it, but you know, just celery. Yeah, if, you, if, you, pick up, if you, you pick up a chair and go after a police officer, right. then you then guarantee that there's going to be something. You talk about them killing now. I mean, you know, you you, know, you running away from the police officer with hands up and they shoot you in the back. You can right. imagine what's going to happen if, if you, you attack them. Yeah, you hold up a stick anyway. But in any event, luckily, you got out. They snatched you out. No, what we happened? we voted twenty five to twenty four to leave the building. And uh, we walked, we we marched out of the building, said, "Hell no, it ain't over." I don't know, forget. And the building, and the building was surrounded by the the white students. You know, there was probably about three, four thousand white students surrounding the building, and they were just there just to see what was going to happen. Right. That's all they cared. No they support. were they, they didn't care. I mean, yeah. they weren't trying. They weren't to for against you. Yeah. So they they just and so. So you so, said twenty five, twenty four. That's half and half. Yeah. So what happened if if, if yeah we would probably die. So possibly, yeah. Then so they would have a memorial uh, plaque up for <laughs> on, us, the so, yeah, on the Allen Building. <laughs> Black students who gave their lives, probably not. But uh, oh no, they probably wrecked it now. But uh, what happened was we came out and uh, the police came in. Well, the police came in about ten minutes later because we marched out. We came up behind all those white students and they was just standing there. And they were the usual white hippie students at that time, and they were throwing paper. They started throwing paper at the cops. Yeah, hmm. and uh, in event the cops had surrounded the building. They had gone into the building, and you know they ho- they I'm sure they were hoping to find one of us there, but they found nobody there. And so they came out and they surrounded the building, a, a huge corridor of cops around the building. Now it wasn't as though somebody else was going to take over that building. I mean, you know, the white students certainly were. It was their building. They didn't care. Right. And so so they stood out there and they started throwing paper. This is four o'clock in the afternoon, four thirty in the afternoon. They started throwing paper at the cops. I'll never forget it. And then I heard what I sounded like to me would be a helicopter. Except mm-hmm. there was no place to put a helicopter to land. And so you had this whirling sound. And next thing I know, this billows of gas come out of these machines and it was tear gas machines. And so they were blasting out tear gas and they were blasting on the white students. Wow. They were blasting on the white students, but they didn't just stop there because immediately as the tear gas came out, the cops came out and they they raised up their billy clubs and they started beating white students left, right. On Duke campus. On Duke campus. Wow. I mean, now if you came to Duke and you were white, you were not poor. No, sir. You were you did you did not come there on scholarship. You had your your family had money. Right. And so these people who had never seen this got beat in the quad. Right there on Duke campus, they got beat inside the inside the chapel. They got beat because they chased them into the chapel. They chased them into the library and beat them there. They chased them into the medical school, which was on the other side, and beat them there. Wow. And, and they just beat them left and right. Now, the funny thing about it was they didn't hit either one of us because we weren't there. We were actually behind them, and so when the tear gas started, yeah, you know, I said I can't stand tear yeah, gas. I left, right? And so, oh but, my gosh! But they beat the now. My thing is, my now, why, has, I was like, why were they beating? I don't. What because they were going to beat? They were there, and they came to beat somebody, and they came to beat some black people, right? And we black we were not available, and though so they started beating white students who throw paper at them. That was sufficient. Uh, for what them. were y'all protesting for? What were y'all trying to, you know, oh, the, the you usual, mean? you know, the <laughs> city the, usual, yeah, you know, the, you know, the mistreatment of black people, uh, especially black employees. Okay. Oh Lord knows that. Oh Lord. Mm. At Duke. At Duke. Yeah, at Duke. So you had the employees out there with you. 
No. Okay, boys, just no, 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 still, no, we were just a student because we thought we were special. Right. And so, the, you know, they wouldn't do anything to us. We were, we were so stupid. Yeah. Naive. No, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, so would have been dead except for one vote. I'm about to right, say, yeah. Right. <laughs> that was one, one vote. We but, but, not but, but let me tell you the real trick. There's a real trick on that. Actually, the vote was 25 to 24 to stay in the building. <gasps> the guy who was taking up the votes. He lied to us and told us that. Good wow. job. And I and I had voted, always voted to, to leave the building. And when he told he told me that a year ago, two years ago, because we had our 50th reunion. Wow. It was last year. So you and, just found this out. You just found out. And I went to him and said, thank you so much for, you know, the lying. You saved my life. I know they saved my life now. Yeah. You know. Mm. At least at least saved you from an asshole in a bad one. I'm oh, no, 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 no. No, they no, killed no, no. Them. They, This is 1969, brother. They was not going to be no ass whipping. So you think they would have came in there and shot all of y'all? Yes. Or bombed the building, or and I'm not if, doubting it. I'm just wondering what you thought. The white students in the middle of the day, and surely would kill. What you. would they do to black students who were in the building and nobody could look at you? Yeah, good point. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. over. I mean, the real question would have been: Would anybody have come out of that building alive? Because right. if you kill yeah. one, you might as well go ahead and kill the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. That's so. True. And those trash cans and them chairs probably wouldn't have helped. Yeah, they would have been <laughs> justification right then and then showing that yeah, we, we were all Black Panthers and that we were all radicals and we just need to be eliminated. And yeah, you know. Okay, and see, and that's good that you say that because that was why I only put two bullet points behind the Black Panthers. Because when I read up on it, and I saw a documentary too, it seems like they kind of, I won't say they went rogue, but they kind of split off into different factions. They did. And then once they did that, then that's when, like, J. Edgar Hoover started kind of, like, targeting them, and they were killing them, and they were killing cops, too, and it, it looked like it got pretty ugly. Well, yeah, you know, the Panthers started off, you know, they, they became a self-up organization, and they were doing a lot of good things. Breakfast in, programs. Yeah, in, in, uh, in their communities. Don't they do uh, but, a lot but, with like medical, like sickle cell and they, stuff. They, they do like. feeding programs and you know and medical programs. Okay, but of course, you know you didn't. It didn't take much for the FBI to become involved with you because you know the FBI was always a part of the system to maintain the system, right? Uh, and that same system that had been in effect for ever since before before slavery. And so, whenever there would be a quote unquote black leader then you would have the FBI or some government law enforcement organization in, you know, infiltrating or or working to take them down. Jack I mean they didn't it, it didn't it happen. I mean they did with everybody, you know. Yeah. The Black Panthers with Malcolm, Martin Luther King. Malcolm, Martin. Yeah. yeah. They were tapping uh, Martin Luther King's phone. They had him mm-hmm. I hate to throw my brother out there, but he was had a little infidelity going and so they threw that out there. Not Martin. Time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were taping this conversation. Oh, yeah, they were yeah, doing more than taping this conversation. Yeah, so they so, were throwing that out there to his wife. Oh, yeah, he to his wife. That will sabotage, you know, his home life. Yeah, they said he was a threat and that he needed, yep. to, he needed to go. I mean, I know he's a threat, but I didn't know that about But he really wasn't. You know, well, if you think about it, he was a threat to them, what they were to trying them. to hold on right. to. But, yeah. I mean, he wasn't a threat physically. But. So do you have a favorite civil rights person? Well, he was more of a threat than anybody else simply because his methodology of handling these issues was not something they could easily fight against. He was strategic. He yeah, was. I mean, yeah. because it was easier to fight against somebody who came against you with guns. You knew you were going to take them out. They said that was the problem with the Black Panthers. Their, <laughs> their, their whole thing could not last. Right. It couldn't last because if you come against white society with guns, 
this is why you have there was going to be killings. The National Guard was going to come in. And the National Guard, but not only that, forget National Guard. The Klan didn't just come out of just just a couple of whites thinking that you know, oh, there'd be a nice idea for us to have guns and you know to terrorize a few black people. No, this was a this was a mindset, and mm-hmm. this and this whole I said you know, especially the idea of of the Second Amendment, possession of guns, and you know, going around, you know, this whole thing, you know. What are you gonna shoot with all those guns? I mean, you ain't going around shooting deer. No, not with AR fifteen. And you're not. And let me tell you somebody, you're not going around shooting other whites. No, no, no. You got this, it just this, in case. Yeah, this is just in case. They, there has, you know, the great miracle of American society has always been that there hasn't been a race war, but there have been various people who wanted one. Oh yeah, they wanted yeah. a race war. Yeah, they, and and so yeah. that was the great thing about Martin was that. His line of attack on on segregation and on the way they treated us was not open to that type of warfare. Not that they didn't kill him anyway with that type of warfare, but it's just the you know, it, it wasn't was as it, easy. It wasn't easy. I mean, you know, to have be on television and people attacking you with dogs and you know water cannons and stuff, then it just it didn't go over well. And of course, which is why we got this, the Voting Rights Act of '64 is because of Selma. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as far as I just looked at a documentary of Martin Luther King a couple of weeks ago. It was called King in the Wilderness. And it basically is a document, a documentary on his last 18 months of his life. <clears throat> he was just in a, a lot different place. than I think that yeah. what they, they talk about a lot, you know, he was definitely still on peace, uh, you know, about peace, but he was talking more about what we could do to better ourselves and the economy and we need to get out of the war. So I think to your point, I think he was, probably the most dangerous and also you know the march on washington like everybody listened to martin luther king but when he when he went against the war he just became like his approval ratings and stuff just went in the tank and now was so, this the vietnam war yeah he okay. spoke out against the vietnam war because his thing was if i'm if i'm fighting for peace here then why would i be okay with them not having peace there and so they're going over there killing black i mean brown people and they're doing the same here so how can i be for that but then fight for peace and equality here so I think Coretta Scott King was a big anti-Vietnam proponent, whatever you want to call it. And so he ended up joining in with her late because they knew that if he said something, because he was trying to get something done. He was trying to get the civil rights uh, a bill passed. And if right. he knew that if he went against, was it Linda B. Johnson? Yeah, Linda B. Johnson. Then he wouldn't sign it. Yep. And so he did it afterwards, not because he was being sneaky about it, but he just couldn't he just take it anymore. had to be strategic. Anymore. Like, well, he was just saying, I just can't be, I'm, I'm just, I got to be true to myself. My wife's out here fighting against the Vietnam War on the front line and I'm being quiet and everybody starting, they starting to ask him like, what's up? No, I mean, you saying that you're nonviolent, but then you're not speaking out against the war. So they kind of backed him into a corner. Mm. And then once he did speak out against it, he became like anti-American and he, you know, Lyndon Johnson really hated him then. Right. Before that he was, he was at the white house. Right. But, uh, but Lyndon had got himself into that war and he felt everybody had to line up and go with him. Right. But, uh, you know, it was interesting that Martin was right. Who's the boxer? Muhammad Ali. Uh, Ali, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, yeah. first of all, they, they, you know, this war was created by, by between the French and by the Americans just to maintain a colony in Vietnam. This, this was their country. It wasn't our country. Right. Hey, we had no business over there. And we lost. And we, but we shouldn't have been there. Right. We should, you know, fifty thousand people should never have gone over there to fight 
they keep, you know, do you know the most interesting thing about it was that the Vietnamese actually supported the United States in World War II. Wow. Ho Chi Minh actually helped the United States and gave them, you know, and they, they, you know, gave them supplies, helped them against the Japanese. And Ho Chi Minh was promised by the United States that they, that the United States was going to help them after Mm. the war. Mm. And that, and we betrayed them. Oh, we, we, you know, we went back on our word to them. We, what, what we did was we start, the French said, we want that. We want the colony of, uh, Vietnam back, and the Americans said, "Oh well, you white, so okay, we're going along with you." And so that's, and then the French ended up losing in '54 to the Viet Cong, and then Americans said, "Oh, that can't happen, you know." No, no, no. We so we went over in '55. No, we right. went. Over, we were over there in '54. We oh, and, were we? Yeah, we were over okay. there in '54, and then and we just stayed. Did your dad fight Vietnam? No, but I'm. A, he did tell me something that I My didn't know about Vietnam. Vietnam. I didn't know that that it was that long. I don't know why I thought oh, yeah. I thought Vietnam started in the sixties. Come to find mm-hmm. out, it's what fifty four. You said, mm-hmm. and it lasted the seventy. What? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely the first couple of years of the seventies. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, they were they were sending people back, but I think the last troops were pulled out in like that seventy two or something like that. Uh, let's see, was it seventy two, seventy three? I remember when when Saigon fell. I remember because it was on television. That was right. one of it. I mean, it was right. it was on television. Oh, you, I'm sure you saw when Saigon fell. You saw them. Flying out from the American embassy, you, they were flying out both the troops and the Viet and uh, the Vietnamese who had supported the Americans. They were flying them out on helicopters, two aircraft carriers out in the bay, and wow. and the, and there were so many people that were trying to escape. They, they were that they ended up pushing planes off the helicopter. I mean, out the aircraft, aircraft carrier into the ocean. You know, wow. just to make room for the people. It was just that many. It was thousands, wow. and they still didn't get everybody. Wow, they still didn't get everybody, but it was all because we broke our word back in fifth. In it was forty five. We broke our word. We gave our word. We were going to support them. And so, what president took us to the Vietnam War? It wasn't so much they took us to the Vietnam War. We just ended up drifting there. We sent the spe- they call them uh, military advisors to work with the. Let's see, it was after the French loss. It was fifty four. Then they started sending special advisors because they set up a. Uh, Set this country of South Vietnam. South Vietnam didn't exist prior to the time they set it up in, I think, in '54, mm-hmm. and they and they that was supposed to be the the free South versus the communist North Vietnam Vietnamese. But the truth of the matter was that this was their country. These people knew what they wanted, right? So and there we go, and there we go, and then we <laughs> we had all these black guys who went over there who gave their lives. My dad fought in Vietnam War. I was shot and my uncle. Two draft numbers. Two draft numbers from being drafted. To go Get to out of here. Two draft numbers. Wow. I was 187, and, and they got to Wilson. In Wilson, they got to 185 that year because I was 19, 1920. And you were eligible. They had they instituted the draft on a, on a lottery system. And so that for one year, you, were, you could be drafted and... And so they, and they every, and during Christmas, around Christmas, they had the draft lottery every year, and they would tell you where you where you stood. Around Christmas, what a heck of a time to have! Yeah, it was just before Christmas. Merry Christmas. Right? Yeah, Merry Christmas. You're going to war. And yeah, I mean, like you know, if you end up with draft number one, draft number two, 
Uh, you knew you were going. Then, then you had a decision to make. You, and what you, about the school thing? Because my dad was oh, telling me. Oh, forget the you, school thing. Well, That's if you were in school and your GPA wasn't right, then you could be drafted. No, no, no. They changed it. That's why the draft lottery came in a bit. Okay. They okay. said that it wasn't fair to people that, you know, certain people got out because they were in school. So they eliminated the uh, educational deferment and said everybody would get a number. Regardless. Regardless. And you had to go. You're a junior in college, about to graduate. And, and you see, and so that's the thing with Trump, you see, is that he, you know, that's why education wouldn't work for him. He had, unless you had a medical deferment. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're medically deferred, then you could, you, you know, you would have What did he say? Drafted. Bone spurs in his oh, foot? He got a doctor to lie for. Yeah. He ain't had a bone spur. Yeah. He ain't had a bone Everybody spur. Everybody has bone spur. <laughs> what a patriot. And, and so, but I got to 180, I was 187. They The number was 185 in Wilson. And quite frankly, I'm sure if they had called my number, I would have gone. Yeah. Because I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough courage to go to uh, the Canada. Now, that's okay. why. That's why a lot of wealthy whites did. They went to Canada. They went to Canada. Mm. And that's what. And see, that's what offended so many people when Gerald Ford. What was that? He rather he became president. That was a seventy four, seventy five. He he pardoned everybody who went to Canada. Him mm. young. Know, yeah, and it, like it, was, it was like a yeah. slap in the face to all those black guys who had left and went to war, and you know they, you know they hadn't they have anything against the people in Vietnam, right? Um, and they also didn't have the resource to be able to move. And they didn't have the resource to move. Yeah, yeah. But goodness gracious, and there were thousands and thousands who went to Canada. All opinions expressed on this podcast do not constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. The views expressed by participants are in their individual capacities only, not those of Blackman Detective Services. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorneys to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information expressed in this podcast is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. We want to hear from you. Are you stuck in a complicated situation and you just need some advice? Email your story to askthesleuth at gmail.com and we'll read it on air. We'll give our opinion and so might our guests. We'll talk through your situation, but don't worry. We'll keep all of your information confidential. That's askthesleuth at gmail.com. Okay, so let's move to policing and mass incarceration. Oh, let's move to it. (laughs) All right, I'm going to start this off because I know Mr. Brown has got a lot to say about it. I don't have a lot to say about it. Y'all know it by now. Y'all kind of blind. Well, I'm going to spark it up. So so the U.S. has 5% of the global population but has 25% of the world's population in prison. So we imprison people more than anybody in the world. In this free country. In this free country. And 2.3 million of those inmates are black. And that's as of 2013. That's probably gone up maybe by now. That's seven years ago. But, yeah, so there you go, mass incarceration. Uh, you're talking about probation, parole, you know, all these things that hold you back from doing things like what we talked about earlier as far right. as, like, buying property and purchasing right. a firearm to protect yourself and voting to make sure that the people that are in office have your interests in mind. So you don't, you're not able to do any of that stuff. African-Americans are incarcerated at five times the rate of whites. The imprisonment rate for African-American women is twice that of white women. 
African-American children represent 30. This was the part that was sad for me. African-American children represent 32% of the children who are arrested, 42% of the children who are detained, and 52% of the children whose cases are judicially waived to criminal court. I mean, that's half of the kids. I mean, you know what I'm saying? What? I mean, and I know that they have juvenile court and all of these things, but, you know, what? what makes our kids so much more likely to, you know, just drop them into the real, you know, big boy system. And, you know, they just don't ever get, they never get out and then they're just stuck. And then you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. I remember when I used to prosecute for 10 years in Durham mm-hmm. and one day, you know, they, you know, there was always this talk about less, you know, stopping crime, stopping, uh, drug the drug traffic and everything but it was well known and it still is well known that the overwhelming number of people who use drugs illegal drugs are white mm-hmm. this this is this is who they are and i said to my boss the district attorney at one point i said if you really want to stop crime stop arresting the seller of the drugs and start arresting the buyers of the drugs then you'll stop crime because you'll you'll kill the man Right. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very least, if you just simply go to the projects and say, forget the guy who's selling the drugs over here, I want you, because it's against the law to possess drugs. Right. You know, cocaine, it's against the law to possess. Right. Just arrest them. If the word got out that you're going to arrest whites who come in with the BMWs and everything with a crack and buying crack, then the, at the very least, then what would happen would be whites would immediately go and start buying it from someplace else. Mm-hmm. Raleigh. Greensboro, someplace else. They wouldn't buy it in Durham because it would be too dangerous. There's no reason to, to buy it. I said, and that will eliminate drugs here. And I remember the, the response to the district attorney said to me at that point was, but if we do that, some people may get hurt. And I, and at first that didn't make any sense to me. You know, wh- mm. Why was he concerned about somebody getting hurt? I thought these are people committing felonies. Mm-hmm. Mm. But what I didn't hear was some white people would get hurt because they might end up getting arrested and they might what might they might even get shot because they're committing crimes. And so we can't do that. And mm-hmm. they didn't do it. If you don't look for crime in a particular area, you're never gonna find it. Mm-hmm. If you don't look for crimes, if you don't look for white people committing crimes, then you're not gonna find it. You're not gonna they're not gonna be you're not gonna find it. They're not going to be arrested. They're in our area. They're not going to go to. They're not going to come to court. They're not going to be sent to prison because they were never arrested to begin with. Now that might seem like something you know that just happens rarely. I've had two cases, and both of them end up being the same way. But I never forget this one case in Raleigh. In Mm. Raleigh. In Raleigh. In Raleigh. (laughs) In Raleigh, where this this kid black kid he was with three other classmates of his and they were at a park and these three classmates uh were two girls two white girls one white guy the white girls looked at was saying well we really like to have some i don't, I don't know what kind of drugs they were coke something and but they wanted some drugs that particular night and he said well you know my client said, I don't know. I don't know where, you know, we can get it from. White guy says, I know where you can get it from. And so they go out and find the drugs. So 
they're sitting in the they're in the park at night. What a dumb place to be. Everybody yeah. knows you know the park is Never closed. closed. And yes. So the cop drives up and so he sees him, sees the drugs, and says, All right, come over here. And he starts talking to him. And he says, Mary Sue, Betty Joe, I know your people. I'm ashamed of you. You need to go home right now. Oh, I'm not going to bother you. I mean, you just go home. I won't tell your mama that I saw you out here. You just go home. Billy Bob, don't let me see you out here again. Antonio, my client, black guy, you come with me. I'm going to charge you with possession of, possession of, of drugs. And I'm going to charge you with a felony. And he did. He charged him with a felony. And so we get downtown. And, you know, surprise, surprise, even the district attorney was ashamed of this one. He came up to me and said, well, you know, would your client be willing to do deferred prosecution? I didn't even ask for it. You know, would he, do, would he willing to do deferred prosecution, get his charges dismissed and everything? And it, it was because he had read the facts. You know, all of the, all the others had gone away. They never got arrested. Right. They didn't even have to get a deferment. Their records didn't get expunged because they never, Where ever got charged. Right. If you don't look for it, you won't find it. Right. It's it's happening all the time. Or you can see it and you might even look away. Oh, you would specifically look away. Right. I, I, I remember when I prosecuted, it used to be this thing. I, I, it was always funny to me. Sometimes I think that the uh, white attorneys forgot that I was black. <laughs> Maybe they didn't care. I don't, I don't know. They didn't care. They'll come up to me and say, they put their, you know, th there was a certain way of, of plea bargaining that happened in Durham. It was always tickle me. They came up to you and they put their arm around you. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, you're about to, you know, you're about to have the okie doke is about to happen. Then. And so they put their arm around you and said, Bob, <laughs> Billy Joe is from a good family. I've known his family for I don't know how many years. They're from a good family, <laughs> and, you, and so you could, you know, you could always, you know, I could always play stupid. Yes, you know, I know what that you know oh, oh, what what's that family got to do with the fact that he's trying to burn down this building just because he liked to see fire? Right. Well, it was just a prank. It was just a prank. Now everybody else is crying. It's a felony. Yeah. But it's <laughs> just a prank. I mean, you gotta understand he just they were bored that particular day. And then mm -hmm. yeah. They, they didn't really mean to anybody hard. Don't yeah, ruin his they're life. They're just kids. Yeah, that was always yeah. that was a good yeah. thing. Don't ruin don't, don't ruin, ruin their lives. That's they got, a good one. They good. got so many things. So much of things them. ahead of their lives and look to look forward to. You mm. shouldn't let this one little mistake stand in their way. And said, well, you know, well, okay. Well, well, I'll, I'll treat them just like everybody else. Well, Bob, we can't do that. I thought, oh, they paid me, and I've already punished them. Which is to say, they punished them by paying them, paying the lawyer. I charged them a lot, which is to say, I charged them a lot, and I promised them that a good outcome was going to happen because I paid them a lot. And because I'm gonna go over here and put in a word for you. No, because I have it in with the district attorney, so therefore it's, they weren't talking about me. They were talking about the district attorney. I've had this happen more than one time. I said, "No, I can't do that." And they said, "Well, you know, do you mind if I go and talk to your boss?" Next thing I know, the boss coming down with some plea bargain. So you know, it worked it all out for him. You, know, I tell you, the most, the most spectacular one of those, the most spectacular one was that happened. It was this was at eighty eight. 
Yeah. Sitting in court. This uh, student had been arrested at Duke. He had so much cocaine in his room, it was mounds and mounds. He was trafficking in a big-time way of, tra- of cocaine. And what happened was he was in a, he was in a uh, frat. Mm-hmm. And so the frat, had the, they had their own uh, housekeepers. You know, the rest, wow. of the, rest of the students didn't have housekeepers, but they had their own, yeah. And so the housekeeper saw this coat. And so her job was to clean up the room. She didn't know what to do. She saw, she knew it was the illegal coat, but she couldn't figure out what to do. So she called her boss, who called the campus police, and the campus police came and yeah, they arrested. They saw this, took pictures, they, they confiscated the coat, and arrested the dude. Okay, yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this thing was this kid was the son, a son in the third richest family from India. Hmm. At Duke. And he had the biggest law firm in Raleigh to come over and represent him. Well, here we go. And, we, and so the kid's in court, and he's about to plead guilty. I mean, what else can he do? I mean, it was his room. It was single room all by himself. All this cocaine. So Jim Hunt comes in. Now, this is between his two terms. You remember, he, he served as governor for, for eight years took out eight years and he came back and served another eight years. Mm. So in that eight year period, he came, he came in. Now I'll never forget Jim Hunt came in. He sat down. There was a whole courtroom full of people. There's a whole courtroom full of people because, you know, they just, you know, this is the third richest family in India. High profile case, high profile, high profile. And uh, Tom Lee was the judge from, he was a senior resident judge in Durham. And I'll never forget it. He was sitting there. And he saw Jim Hunt sitting at the council table. And he looked over and he said, Governor. Because, you know, once you're governor, you always stay governor. Right. And so he says, uh, would you approach the bench for him? And, and so, you know, Jim Hunt you know, graciously got up. And the, and the judge shook his hand and everything and went back in. And that's the only thing that Jim Hunt said in that entire case. The entire case. Didn't say another word. Not wow. one. That kid got a prayer for judgment, which is to say wow. no conviction. I was wow. a prayer for judgment. A prayer for judgment. He or did not he did not say cocaine? Us, and, yes. Cocaine. He got a prayer for judgment. And his only only condition was he had to leave the United States and go back to India. Just go away. Just yeah. go away. Well, I mean, that's no surprise. I mean, you know if you got the money, you can get out of stuff. But uh, I mean, it is yeah, they at least try to hide it most of the time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's <laughs> they true. don't want to hide it. Anyway. That's true. I'm through. <sighs> that, I mean, and that happens all the time. It happens all the time. But look, let mean, me just say this too. Like, so for me, if somebody was to ask me what I want, right, from police, government, I don't want the homeboy hookup. I'm not looking for you to oh, do no. anything for me. I just want the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what black people don't get. We don't get the benefit of the doubt. So you can get a 14-year-old kid or even younger in a park with a toy gun and the cop hop out and within a minute that little kid is shot. Yep. I mean, not even giving them, you know, so that kind of stuff. That's all I'm really looking for as far as from the system is a benefit of the doubt. I just want justice. Yeah. I want justice because I don't think either 14 year old of any race should be shot for right. holding car Absolutely. Gun. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah. just doesn't work like that. And, and of course not, but, but you know, white and other Race, they're not getting shot, so we don't have to fight for them. Oh, no. Yeah, they're good. Well, We're the ones that get shot. And that's why, you know, when people do the whole all lives matter thing, you know, that is 
That's not you missing the boat. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the same things do not happen to other races that happen to black folks, especially dealing with police and hatred and, you know, racism. So, you know, the whole Black Lives Movement came about, what, 2013? Yeah. 2012, 2013. Um, 2014. Yeah, right. Yeah, right around that time. Right after Trayvon Martin. Yeah, well, I think it was between Trayvon and Eric Gardner right around that time. Okay. After that, after they burned Ferguson down, that's when they came up with Black Lives Matter, I believe. So between 2013 till now? Oh, yeah. yeah, And these, uh, on all these people are what? Have been killed by the system. By police. Yeah. All these people have been killed by police since 2013. You got Eric Gardner. This is not in order, but Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Laquan McDonald, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Jamar Clark, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Stephon Clark, Bodine Jean, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Rashard Brooks, and then Sandra Bland, which was kind of a, you know, she was found hung in her jail cell. So that didn't go down <laughs> as a police murder, but I mean, I think we that all. was a police murder. That. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, of course, you got to throw in Trayvon Martin and Arby and Ahmad Arbery, who were killed by, well, uh, I don't want, or George Zimmerman, and whatever, a non-black, somebody who thought they were the police and felt like they had authority enough to kill the people. And then, so, yeah. So, we'll see what happens with Ahmad Arbery. <clears throat> we all know what happened to Trayvon Martin's killer. Yep. Um, he's walking around. So, 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 there you go. So, you know. Black Lives Matter, not that it went away, but it kind of died down a tea tiny bit. And, you know, it's now cranked up again since, you know, the killing of George Floyd. And then now Mr. Rayshard Brooks, which. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no justice when you've taken my life. You know what I'm saying? And and it's hard to I mean, I don't know. How do we get past this? Like, how do you I mean. Well, like he said, justice, because I think for the family, it's already bad enough that your loved one's been taken away. But I think it stings a little more that they're not even been taken to, you know, they're not even, it's no yeah, justice for the You person. said, what, 99% of these people who died because of police yeah. killings? Everybody got off except for 99% one. 99% of killings. No, they never get charged. They don't even get charged either. But 99% of the killings by police have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime. 99% not even charged. The other 1%. They were charged, maybe got off, and I think two were charged and, and got convicted. And that was that was the Dallas girl. No, that was Botham Jean, which was the girl, the cop, who was a, who was a female, went into the wrong unit uh, apartment. Right. He stayed down the floor below her, and she said oh, yeah, she went in and didn't. She thought she was in her apartment, and she shot him. The man sitting there on his couch, looking at you know, sleep or something, and she walked in his apartment and shot him. And then the other one was Walter Scott. You remember that one? In uh, South Carolina and Charleston, where they shot him in the back, and the little kid was filming it, and the cop didn't know. So he he runs from the cop, gets pulled over, registration, some petty stuff. He runs from the cop. The cop chases him, shoots him in the back three times, fires five. Oh yeah. And you remember the guy, the little kid was over behind the fence filming it. Cop yeah. didn't know, and he dropped either a taser, taser or a gun, and 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 tried to frame him on that. So he got convicted. But he only got twenty years for that, and the girl that killed a guy in her in his own apartment got ten. That's not fair. That's, and then you know, I mean, you you deal with. I mean, that's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> I mean, ten years. Oh, it's nothing. I, I mean, mean he won't serve ten. No, no. won't even serve ten. Good point. No, he might serve five. In confinement. A couple things I wanted to bring up, just to be clear, can of course we have protests and riots and the looting and all this stuff is happening, and we know that this is hurt people who are just 
being reactive to the things that are happening out here and, you know, are looking for the government to make a change. But I keep hearing of this Antifa. What is this Antifa? Who are they? Are they doing anything? Is it a fake group? Is it a real group? Is it just somebody that claims to be like what? I, I hear Ant- you. Well, Antifa, I'm sorry. Antifa is an, uh, anti-fascist. anti-fascist organization. Right. Um, and they're nowhere as ne- nowhere near as dangerous as Fox News have you believe. They don't have a, a they don't have any organizing member. They don't have a headquarters. They don't have anything. I don't think they have funding. It's not like that. And so who are these people? Well, like, well, first of all, they're not who they saying they are. So even if they are, it is. I'm sure it doesn't exist. But I don't think that it's like some people are going out. Like they're they're trying to paint it like these people are going to come into your homes. They're going to take you. And they're going to take your property. They're going to burn your property down. They're going to attack you. They're going to kill you. And I don't. I don't. Haven't seen anybody associated with Antifa be charged with anything like that. Not one. So I, I, it's just a you know the next boogeyman. Same thing with Black Lives Matter. They were kind of demonizing that. Yep. Until just recently. Right. And then you got people all over the world saying Black Lives Matter. So he's like, oh, I guess we can't spin that little trick again. Like, no, this is it. Black Lives Matter. It's not offensive. No. We'll come with that all lives matter, the blue lives matter. No, 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 no. We're talking about black lives right now. Right. So, yeah, so we're back now. I think I think it's at the end a good place, but I'll be honest with you. I don't think that they have – I was reading some reports about people sending money to different factions and not knowing where the money was going. So they probably do need to be a little bit more organized. Black lives matter, I'm talking about. Right. But as far as Antifa, I think that's just political nonsense, to okay. be honest. What are your thoughts about what's happening right now, sir? Protest. Do you believe in the protest? The oh, I loved it yesterday when your people decided to string up that uh, Confederate statue. That's Raleigh. I, I didn't know Raleigh. the, I didn't know the Raleigh people had it in them. That's Raleigh, man. Come on, man. Really? I and hung them up. And look, it hung it up on the street side. And hung it out. And put it in front of the courthouse. The Confederate <laughs> soldier. Come on, now. But Robert E. Lee. Was no, it, was it Robert Lee. Lee. Who was no, it? Which one is? I don't know who it is. Oops. I don't look. I don't pay attention to them Confederate soldiers. I don't know who it is. It could be anybody. What do you see over the body uh, on the on the Capitol grounds? So. Right. I look again. Man, it could be Santa Claus up there. I wouldn't have never known. <laughs> I don't even look. I don't pay attention to it. I know it ain't that for us. I, I, was saying, I know it's over there. Something yeah. is over there. I'm not quite sure it is. I gotta okay. look up who they took down because they they drug them all up and down, they drug down, them up down, and down the street. And look, and they put them in front of the up. courthouse, and then people went and took selfies. With the statue and kicked it, and then the police came and snatched it up and, and drug it off. Oh, yeah. did they take it off? Uh-huh. Yeah, they took it off. Yeah, uh-huh. they came and got it. Yeah, because okay. like I said, they wanted to be you know a symbol and people coming around and in crowd. So they took it off. Yeah, I mean, probably no. took it to some person's house and mm. put it in their backyard or something. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know. What do you do with a Confederate statue? Really? I mean, you can put cow. it in the river. You can take it out the Falls River. You can melt it down, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. What, are, they, what are they made of? Steel. Uh, bronze, bronze. I think. Yeah. It was pretty heavy, man. Them kids was dragging that statue. Well, look, the ones, what's the one? Was it Portsmouth, Virginia? We was watching that girl was up there trying to, I mean, she was about to blow a blood vessel trying to push that thing over with her feet as much as she could. Well, one of them, they got hurt. One time somebody pulled a statue down and, I mean, come on now. You pulling the statue right on yourself. So you fool. That's (laughs) right. That was a lot of that. I mean, the guy was like directly under it, pulling, pulling. So now if it comes down. It's gonna fall on you, right? We gotta remove these statues, yeah. statues safely. But I saw a guy last night, and he was saying that he was working with the. They were trying to get a bill passed to take the statues down. So you got the peaceful protesters, and right. then you got the people that's like, man, let's just take this, just shit snatch down. it down, <laughs> right? So, so they out there going at each other, 
And he's like, look, we were real close to getting it pulled down and getting it passed and doing it the right way. And I could respect that. I right. could respect that too. But they said, man, we're pulling down tonight. On Juneteenth, <laughs> it's coming down tonight. <laughs> we're not waiting for them to, no. So, and it's down. It's so down. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they, and they are making, I guess they are addressing the issue on how they need to handle these things. And, the, you know, they're addressing some of the schools that are in the area that have been named after Confederate soldiers. That's, and, right. That's nice. I appreciate you know, so that. I mean, you have to, yeah. I mean, it's nice. I need to, more though. To, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's coming. We just can't, yeah. you know, as black people, we just can't, we can't get foolish with it. And we have to keep going and not just let. You know, we get fired up when things happen immediately and we just kind of pipe down a little bit and then we go back to, you know, what it is that we were doing. And then, you know, and you can't you got to keep the momentum going. Yeah. What does justice look like? Just well, it looks like what is written like, you know, we just we just have to actually follow that. Right. So if you just follow the Constitution for the most part, I think we'd be all right. But then people kind of have their own interpretation of what justice looks like. Mm. That's what that come, comes into that whole benefit of the doubt thing. You know, when a cop sees a, a kid or a black kid, he feels like he knows that he may have some drugs, a gun, car stolen, yeah, the tags but why? aren't right. But why? Right. Because, I mean, and because, does that, because and, I mean, and I get yeah. that, but does is it worth my life? Like, do you have to kill me because my tags are bad? Do you have to kill me because I wrote a check for tw- a forged to twenty dollar check? I mean, you have white people out here who have mass killings. Yeah. Uh, who's the little boy that killed the people in the church in South Carolina? Dylan Roof. Yeah, and they got they down there giving the man water, and yeah. we can't even breathe. Yeah, I mean, it's just it yeah. treat me like you don't see my color first, and especially when you're talking about law enforcement and my education. You know. You don't mind us being uh, entertainment for NFL, for NBA, you know, but. but we've you, always been that. We've always been entertainment for them. If you go back to the slave I mean, days, And I know true. that. And they would let us dance for them and, you know, and, and that's just how it was. And so if you go back and we just, what do we start at the slave trade in 1610? Right. So you got to undo that many years. 400 years. Plus of that kind of thinking. And it's not going to happen just like that. But no. it's going to take us putting laws in place to stop discrimination. And if laws right. are in place, then they don't have to do anything. And they can for, just do it like they've been doing. And for people to be held accountable Absolutely. whenever you shoot people and it, yeah. it, you cannot be covered. I mean, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with, um, right, number one, Rayshard Brooks. Not only did you shoot the man in the back, but you shot in the open parking lot where you mm-hmm. had people in line. People got children. I mean, you're in Wendy's parking lot. Yeah. And you kicked them. And then you kicked the man after he was down and, and you, you stood on him. Yeah, and then you, and then the the excited utterance of "I got him," you know, after he shot him. So that was your intention, and I think my problem is it almost feels like it's like they're embarrassed that you got beat by a black man, like that he got away sleeping. from you. He was so sleeping. you woke yeah, him up. And he, he was yeah, he, <laughs> the man was drunk. You woke him up. He still beat both of y'all. Got away, and he can't get away from us. I gotta kill him. And that is a I don't know what's happening in the mind of people when that switch has turned, and that to me is what's disgusting. I think part of it is is adrenaline. You ever see the cops that chase people on the on the on the highway, and when they get out the car, they're so hype and they get out the car and they yeah, yelling, like you've been running from yeah, me because their adrenaline is up. And they, yeah, but, but they have to learn how to have self control yeah. and say and make these decisions because because yes. in three in three to five seconds they like judge, jury, and execution, and, execution. and they're taking you out just like that. You got your sentence. Sentence is death. You're guilty, you're done. And that's it. So what do you think about that case? I know you saw the evidence. You think he got a good case? What do you think about the DA? Rayshard Brooks. Uh, Rayshard Brooks. I think 
that what you see was about two seconds of the black experience being con- being condensed right then and there, where you had a white cop making a decision immediately that that, that was not a man. That right. was not a man. That was not a person that I had the least little bit respect. Because do you think for a second, if it had been a white student running away, a white high school student, same identical. These things happen with white high school students, Absolutely. by the way. And, you know, they, they're running away, and, you know, and he has a stunt. Do you think he would have shot him in the back? No. You think? I they mean, just, done- just imagine what, what state of the union would he would have shot him in the back? There wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and he know, shot him three times. And, and shot. I mean, would, would that happen? Now, what happened was he perceived he, at that very moment his training and his culture had taught him that that's not a person. That's right. You can go ahead and kill him. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it doesn't even matter. I mean, he's open season now. Mm-hmm. He's you a can criminal. Just go ahead and kill. Forget the fact that. All he did was a misdemeanor at best, and the law says you can't kill a person for a misdemeanor. You can't kill him for a misdemeanor, and you can't kill him from running away from you when you're trying to affect the rest of a misdemeanor. Right. That's the law. Right. But nonetheless, you said, I can execute him because he's not a person, and I can make up the pretense that hit this sun gun that had been discharged twice was, was a deadly weapon, and now I can go ahead and execute him. But because you know it wasn't. Huh? But he knows that it wasn't. He knows it wasn't. But right. it's, it doesn't take much. Well, you know, I, I heard that they can't even, they're not even supposed to shoot you with a taser in the back, let alone a gun. So he brought her all kind of. Yeah, man, court, yeah the prosecutor yeah. said that even it didn't matter if it was a taser or a gun. If the man was a, turning away from you, yeah. that you are not to shoot. That's right. Period. So you think he got a good case? Oh, the, I mean, the here's my question. Oh, absolutely. I mean, cause, okay. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it was murder. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just play. But don't I'm you think he'll better. play on the thing that he turned around and for a split second he didn't realize if it was a gun? <laughs> that's what he's going to say. Of course, that's but, what he's going to say. But then you right. But you've been trained that whenever you and you should know how to use the weapons that you carry. Your taser once it's discharged twice, it's not a threat to you anymore. Right. Like, did you? How did you? And he's not that? a threat because yeah, he's running no, away no, from no, you. Right. No. He's what they've really been trained is that whenever you discharge your weapon, you always say. I was afraid for my life. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he's running away, putting his hands up, walking away from you. But you at some point, that cannot be, right. that is not acceptable anymore. If, well, you, if you got 12 jurors who are willing to believe that lie. I mean, I know that, but the, the mindset, that's well, what I'm the saying. The whole, they huh? should who be. Who are the jurors? The people that vote. That's why we got to vote. No, no, the jurors well, are the people. Not the citizens. Well, normally, it used to be them. that they would not allow you to be on jury duty if you were black. But thank God that's changed. <laughs> Now, now the jurors that will be people who will be on the jury who will say, who can say that they can be fair and impartial even though they've heard about the case. Now, that's a problem a lot. I, I, I try a lot of jury trials. So normally when you have a situation of a death case or a high-profile case, you have black people. Black people get up on, on the, on the, uh, in the jury pool, and they'll tell the truth. Yeah, They'll say, yeah, I heard about this case. Yeah, I think he's guilty right now. I ain't no you question about that. Oh, we don't want him. I'm, Go I'm, ahead. Right. We're done with him bringing somebody else. And, so, and so that's the problem because once they say that, then they're out of back that. And so you, no, you have to say, oh, and then I mean, you have I'm... then you have other people who will get over there and they'll say, you know, the the uh, prosecutor will ask them, you know, do you have an opinion about this case? Oh well, I might have thought that he was guilty at one point, but I can keep an open mind. I can be fair. I, we I, want them. Uh, put, yeah. put them on. And them. of course, they lie. Right. <laughs> they already have an opinion. They have an opinion. And they about to not? change it. If you hear a story 
it's it's I mean, you're gonna have an opinion about it. No matter what I mean, it's it's human it's, it's And if reflex. you're just it's sitting a, under a rock, you have seen T V, you have yeah. some access to social media. Oh yeah, I this mean, day and time you have an opinion. Oh yeah. yeah. So sure. I mean you've seen it. To sure. be fair. Thank y'all, first off, for coming here and being open to discuss all of this stuff. I know it is a hot topic and I just want I'm glad that we had thank you, Joe, for this platform, you know, that we can just talk openly and just, you know, it is what it is. Some people may not like it. Some people may. Some people, it might open your eyes. You know, it's just all of this is to bring awareness that, you know, it's just people just aren't having this anymore. So we've been talking about this whole voting thing, the whole thing, the whole day. And as part of Blackman Detective Services and myself and my friends who want to be involved, we're going to do like a voter registration site at some point before the election comes up. And I mean, just again, to educate our people on voting, where to vote, just making sure that people can make educated decisions and that they actually participate in the voting process. Be looking forward to that in the future. Happy Juneteenth. And this song, I forget who sings it, Common Somebody and D. Wilson. It's just, it, it's a it's a Christian song, but it just talks about just the senseless killings that have happened. And I just want to end the show with that today. So thank y'all for listening and we'll see you next time. The blood of my brother was spilled on the street. He was the rose that grew out of the concrete the same ground where his body lay like rose petals on a stony grave why do we fear each other from the lies of yesterday i'll never know but look at all these roses with petals on the ground they call this one Mike Brown I'm asking you to look at all these roses With petals on the ground They call this one Trayvon Martin I'm asking you to look at all these roses With petals on the ground They call this one Tychonley I'm asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground. It's far too many for me. The tears of my mother were spilled at his grave. She knows the cost the whole world could not repay. When she should have felt our sympathy All we told her is that a baby was guilty And do we even have compassion? Do we even want to see? I'll never know But look at all these roses With petals on the ground They called this one Freddie Gray I'm asking you to look at all these roses With petals on the ground They call this one Eric
until victory.